So how I usually like to, to start these conversations is, is about the individual's journey. It's always interesting how people get to where they are and how they get to work on these big sort of projects or companies or organizations that they're, they're currently in now. And, and usually when I talk to people, they're, you know, doing something that's going to take up a lot of their life's work, right? I mean, it's going it, they're solving something that takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. So it, it's really a good place to start, I think, on, on how they got there. So do you want to kind of take us back maybe to after your sort of double masters and, and kind of where did that propel you from there? And then, then we'll get into MIT Solve. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'll actually even take you a little bit. Sure. Let's do back, it. If that's yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, because so my earliest memory of my, what I wanted to do with my life was to be a prosecutor and to put bad people in prison when I was probably 10 years old. And uh, I didn't know anything about restorative justice at the time. I probably spent too much time looking at, you know, law and order type TV series. And then maybe when I was 13 or 14, I decided I should rid the world of cancer and mm -hmm. that I would be a scientific researcher. I was very good at sciences. So I ended up doing my undergraduate in biochemistry. And I even started a, a PhD around cancer research uh, after three months or so of that PhD. And I sort of entered it knowing that it was probably not for me. I was sort of crying myself to sleep every night and, mm. and I decided to quit. There was the timelines in sort of scientific research and the type of work that you do day to day was just really not something that fit my personality, even if the objective and the outcome was obviously really great. And then I sort of didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I was 21 and I went to China to teach English because one of my friends um, was there and uh, I was fascinated by Asia. I applied for a master's in international relations, um, this double master's uh, in Paris and in London. Mm -hmm. And that was partly because international affairs seemed like a good degree to do when you wanted to do good in the world. Um, right. But also partly because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was pretty broad after biochemistry <laughs> being so specific. I thought, oh, I can do politics and history and economics and all of that. I ended up specializing around conflict and security and especially like human rights type questions. And nobody would give me a job, uh, unfortunately, uh, working in human rights or at least a job <laughs> that paid uh, decently. Sure. As a few sort of unpaid internships where, you know, I got lunch money or something like that. Um, so I still didn't know what I wanted to do uh, after two masters. <laughs> and uh, I joined a management consulting firm, um, BCG in mm -hmm. London, um, because other friends joined those types of places and because they gave me a job and it paid well and I could right. travel. <laughs> the good news is it was a great decision. I learned a lot. There were lots of smart people. It was interesting enough. And more importantly, um, one of their pro bono clients was Save the Children, which was one of my mm -hmm. favorite organizations and still is the largest independent child's rights organization in the world. And I pleaded and pleaded and pleading with the person who's in charge of staffing to put me on the Save the Children case. And I kept getting pharmaceuticals and private equity and energy, <laughs> that type of thing. And then finally, one day, she rewarded me and gave me a Save the Children case. Um, and I did that for four months, met a team there that I really liked, was using the sort of consulting skills on that team. It was sort of a team of internal consultants. 
so did a case there for four months and then I went back to BCG for another six but then they had a full-time position and I jumped on that opportunity to join Save the Children. I did that for three and a half years. I was sort of an internal consultant and initially I was doing more headquarter things and then I really switched to supporting country offices. So then I was traveling all the time, three weeks a month to wow. Pakistan, Cambodia, uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Haiti. Um, I went to China. I went to North Korea wow. uh, with Save the Children. Um, so that was really exciting. And it was, was it was it food related? Was it refugee related? What was no? It was it was a uh, so Save the Children does edu primary. It does mm -hmm. education, health, child rights, things like horrible things like child soldiers and, sure. and things like that. Um, what they call child protection but I really was an internal consultant. So I was sort of going around the world, helping different country offices with essentially um, moving their systems and processes into a new structure, mm -hmm. which was Save the Children International in London. So it was really looking at finance, HR, legal issues. It wasn't looking at the programmatic aspects of the, of the program. Gotcha. It's how it's run how you manage $800 million worth of grants and wow. building IT systems and yeah. things like that. That was my, my job. And it was fantastic. But after about three and a half years there, I was traveling three weeks a month. And as I just pointed out, I was not doing any of the program work. I was doing everything but the program mm -hmm. work. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so although that was a fantastic experience, I wanted a change. I applied for a few jobs. Uh, there was a f I got a few jobs in Geneva. Uh, I thought Geneva was extremely boring place to be. I got a job in New York uh, working for the Clinton Foundation, which paid half of what the jobs in Geneva was going to pay me and 40% less of what Save the Children was already paying me. And despite all of that, I accepted the job uh, in New York because uh, New York was one of my favorite cities in the world uh, and still is. Mm -hmm. And um, the work at the Clinton Foundation was seemed really interesting. So I joined there in 2012 uh, as a program fellow initially. And then ultimately I was promoted to director of program. I spent four and a half years there and I was in charge of all of the content, speakers, government mm -hmm. relations for the Clinton Global Initiative. So wow. I was putting on these big conferences uh, and, and the big programs across uh, several of them a year. And that was really fantastic. I got to meet everybody. <laughs> uh, I got to decide who everybody was in that sense. Um, and we covered all manner of topics across, uh, you know, education, health, climate change, and everything you can think of uh, on our stage. Um, so that, that was really fantastic. And then a... Headhunter called at some point, <laughs> uh, four and a half years in, and uh, they talked to me about something at MIT called Solve that they had launched, but were looking to sort of find an executive director for. I'd never heard about it. I was not interested in moving to Boston uh, slash Cambridge um, to, to do this. I sort of told them, no, I don't want to move. And they said, no, 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 no. They're ready to be flexible in location. Just, you know, come and meet the team. And, uh, you know, 
a dozen or so interviews later, I remember a train ride back from from Boston to to New York, where I phoned my mother, and I sort of said, "Ugh, I think I have to do this," <laughs> um, which was sort of reluctant, but also good in that I think everything it just seemed that everything I wanted to do. And what what was it about the pitch? Was in the job. Well, it's funny because across the 12 interviews, there were different, definitely lots of different visions of Solve. Mm -hmm. It was not right. like full alignment. We know what we want to do, right? But there was enough there there that I thought I could herd everyone together. And interestingly, one of the exercises I had done for myself a few months back, um, so that's in early 2016 or so, and that I recommend people do. Um, I, I have a... Uh, on top of Solve, I have a, I just launched this website called yourimpactlife.com where you can read about this, uh, what I suggest, but it's, hmm. um, it's basically, I wrote down my personal vision, mission, and values. So that's an exercise, right? That you typically do if you're an organization and especially a mission driven organization, you write down what your vision of the world you want to see, what is your mission? What are you going to do within that? And then your values you typically do that for an, as an organization, right? But I had done that for myself. Interestingly, everything I had written down about what the world I wanted to see, what my place in it and how I could affect change towards that vision and the values I respected were solve. And they were solve both because certainly what I heard was there was a lot of overlap, but also mm -hmm. as I then took the job, I made solve also into what my personal vision, <laughs> mission and values were in that sense. But it's funny that looking back at them, I, there's nothing I would change. And it fell the opportunity to do exactly what I wanted to do in this case fell, fell into my lap a little Amazing. bit, but I, I was able to recognize that and yeah. able to get over the whole Boston thing to, to be able to, <laughs> <laughs> to be able to take advantage of that. So that's a great, segue into into solve and, and and what mit solve is and just let's give just a, a broad sort of summary and overview uh, i know it has a lot of a lot of tentacles and it does a lot of things but maybe its overall mission sort of is what so we're an initiative of mit we're not independent and our mission is to drive innovation to solve world challenges uh, and really we see ourselves as a marketplace for social impact innovation People say, oh, are you an accelerator? Are you an incubator? Are you, do you do prize challenges? Mm -hmm. They compare us to a number of other things. But what I, what I like to say is that, you know, we need more innovation in the world and innovation that really serves the most underserved communities and solves real problems for them. And, you know, if you take the UN Sustainable Development Goals, you would... Um, people talk a lot about the $2.5 trillion gap, uh, annual funding gap that is needed. We're not going to achieve the SDGs if we don't get all this extra money. But personally, I don't think that even if suddenly all the governments and the philanthropists and the big corporations of the world opened their purse strings and coughed up that $2.5 or $2.7 trillion dollars, um, we would still solve these challenges. We also need new innovation and new ideas. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that 
is there's not a good marketplace. Um, there is not, it's not very transparent. Uh, and just like typical, I guess, entrepreneurship and, and who gets funded is typically not necessarily, is, you know, people in Silicon Valley and people who have a tendency to be uh, American and white mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and other things. And you're not necessarily creating a lot of transparency and a lot of accessibility for people. So really the idea behind Solve is that we're this marketplace and we find fund and support innovators. So that's one side of the marketplace. And then we connect them with corporations, foundations, governments, multilateral organizations, i.e. the other side of the marketplace mm -hmm. and people who have resources and who are, want to fund and want to support innovation more broadly. And we're the connectors, we're brokers or matchmakers in this marketplace. Interesting. Can you give, give us some idea of, of what are some of the problems being solved or, or the innovation within the marketplace that is being funded, right? Or, or, or being yeah. Um, brokered? Yeah, so we, we have four pillars, learning, health, economic prosperity, and sustainability. And every year we um, set a challenge within, within that pillar. So this year, we just, um, we just uh, announced the solver class for 2020. It was on mm -hmm. September 29th. And for example, we had a challenge on sustainable food systems. Mm -hmm. um, and so looking at solutions that could promote like high impact protein that could promote um, a number of other uh, innovations in, uh, in that space. We also had a challenge on uh, good jobs and inclusive entrepreneurship, as well as um, health security and pandemics was uh, another very big challenge. I'm sure that everybody is aware why we decided to do um, that one, but that, was, uh, that looked both at near-term solutions to this current crisis, but also longer-term solutions to uh, hopefully help prevent the next um, pandemic uh, or even epidemics. So, um, and these are open questions when we launch them. Anybody can apply from anywhere in the world. You can be a nonprofit, a for-profit, an academic project, an individual. Um, we do ask really that people have a prototype, at least a working tested prototype, if not really a, a pilot that's running or, or be in sort of growth phase. Uh, so it's not a business plan competition. You have to sort of show traction, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, and then uh, you know, then all the solutions are visible and we have a number of judges, a diverse set of judges who then pick uh, the most promising solutions. And so the judges would be for different judges for each in particular pillar, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's generally, and you can see it again all on our website, one, one of our values is, is really this open innovation concept. So you can see all the solutions that apply, you can see all the judges, you can see all the criteria. We're trying to make it as, as open as possible. And, it's, and we also crowdsource the challenges to some extent. So if people want to help us input on what challenge we should do for 2021, 
they can vote on our platform and they can input it. They can join different workshops to be able to do that with us. So we try and do that um, for, but yeah, the judges, um, you can see, um, you can see them. Uh, I'm looking, for example, at the girls and women, uh, the learning for girls and women's page. And we have the CEO of the Queen Rania Foundation. We have uh, the Global Social Impact STEM Lead for General Motors. Uh, we have somebody from the Obama Foundation, somebody from Microsoft uh, for startups. Uh, we have uh, somebody from UN Women, and uh, we have a pastor. One of our solver teams from a previous class comes back and now is one of the judges as well. Hmm. Hmm. Have there been... I guess successes is a is a not the best term to use or, or best word, but has there been challenges that have not been solved? Because usually, I'm sure the time horizon on this stuff is is going to be decades long. But has there been progress through you know individuals that have you know applied for one of the challenge and, and received you know funding and went off to obviously do some incredible things? Are, are, are there some yeah. examples that you could share around that? Success is indeed takes takes years mm -hmm. to be in the making, and the way we suddenly pose our challenges, um, they they are pretty broad, and and we don't believe that there's one magic silver bullet or technology which is going to to solve this. So we don't give one of the important things is we don't give the prize to one person. We select a class. Uh, so this year it's five challenges times seven. Uh, solver team, so 35, but um, each class per challenge is seven people. And so within that, we look at a portfolio approach, if you will, and seeing real diversity in terms of geography, business models, technology, what aspect of the challenge they're really uh, zoning in on. So that, you know, and it also means that you're looking at the performance or the impact of the class and uh, not just you know you're putting all your eggs into one you know silver bullet basket if you will <laughs> um so that's sort of how we see it they're definitely i can give you a couple of examples of solver teams that have done really well and grown um well through through our process one of them it's in based in indonesia ruanguru digital um boot camps it is and I'm sorry to say this for Iman uh, because I don't think, you know, I'm bastardizing it a little bit, but it, it's a online education platform, similar, you know, people will know about Khan Academy and we just had Sol Khan nope. um, nope. at Solve Challenge Finals. So it does personalized content, but in this case, it's really tailored to the Indonesian market, right? Mm -hmm. It's obviously mm -hmm. in Indonesian, but it follows the curriculum of the Indonesian government. It's in, you know, that he, he has partnerships with the Minister of Education, different schools, et cetera. So it's not only something that you, that you as a child uses, but it also helps with exam prep and with classroom prep. Uh, and so it really helps be a, uh, an add-on to your, when it was in person, in-person classroom experience. And, you know, it's really targeted to people who uh, can't afford private tutors and private schools and a number of things, but right. want or need a complement to, to their current education. Um, and that has grown tremendously uh, over the past um, 
few years um, and uh, to reach sort of, I don't know where he's exactly at now, but tens of, tens of millions or certainly above 10 million Indonesian children. What's interesting, and it's a for-profit, but he also, Iman also had a non-profit arm to this, which was targeting more specifically out of school Indonesians mm -hmm. and, and really uh, people who were below grade and needed to sort of catch up, if you will. Thanks to, so he applied as part of the a Youth Skills and Workforce of the Future Challenge, was successful. As part of this, he got a, an initial prize of $50,000 from uh, Atlassian, which is um, a big Australian um, software company. They mm -hmm. do things like Trello and things like that. Yep. And, um, and the Australian government. So that was an initial grant of $50,000. And then he got follow-on funding in the six figures. And now uh, they've, they've given him further follow-on funding, which is in the seven figures, to really continue developing that nonprofit arm of it. Um, so that's, um, that's sort of a great uh, success story for us. And it's sort of, you know, extended in a multi-year um, engagement uh, between a government, a corporation, and an Indonesian hybrid startup, if you will. <laughs> Amazing. What, I like that you, you touched a little bit on the funding because I, I wanted to talk about the range of, of sort of, you know, capital injection versus grants versus uh, equity. So like if, a, if someone sort of, you know, applies for one of these challenges and, and gets accepted, is, is there a mixture of funding that is involved, right? Is it is just strictly a $100,000 check or is it, $800,000, but, you know, 100,000 comes in grants and another half a million comes from, you know, something yeah. else, but maybe they own 10% equity now. Like, how does, mm -hmm. I guess, how, do, how does that work from a funding perspective for, for uh, It depends. Cool. It really depends per challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but for our, for our global challenges, I mean, first of all, we say, if you're only after money, there's like easier ways probably to get it. <laughs> right, right, right. Than to, to apply to solve in one way. We, we, we don't want to see this, that the only thing you're looking for is, is funding. Um, we really look also at non-financial resources and how we, we can support the solver teams in with coaching, mentorship, media exposure, right. um, and, and other things. But one, we know that uh, social entrepreneurs, one of the key constraints is indeed funding in various yeah. ways. So we definitely yeah. seek to provide that. Um, so for the, in the last three and a half years, we've brokered commitments of over $25 million for all our teams around the globe. That number is majority, majority, in majority, God, uh, <laughs> that, word. Um, that was a big adverb for me, um, but in majority grant funding, even though wow. just over half of our teams are for profit. Uh, so we've got roughly half for profit, half nonprofit with some in the middle, right? Some sort of, which are both. But um, most of the funding we've brokered at the moment is, is grant funding. So for for-profit entrepreneurs, it's great. It's non-dilutive capital. It's great, um, yeah. That's, that's the best. That's what they, they yeah. need. Yeah. Um, but that is starting to to evolve. We're getting we're getting more um, 
investment funding as well um, brokered through the door. One of the big, the biggest deal we've done uh, for uh, Temi, uh, who runs LifeBank in Nigeria. Her startup is a maternal health startup where around blood uh, uh, delivery to uh, prevent postpartum hemorrhage. In that case, it's a mix. Uh, we've brokered the biggest deal. We've brokered uh, several million dollars and some of it is grant funding and the rest of it is a uh, loan, uh, so debt. And I think one of the things that we saw when we saw that we were not maybe getting as much investment funding as made sense relative to our portfolio um, is we've started something called Solve Innovation Future, mm -hmm. um, which is our own philanthropic investment vehicle. Love it. Um, and how it works is pretty innovative in and of itself. We're trying to be innovative. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's innovative. talk about it. Yes. <laughs> so what we, what we do is we're still getting grants from our perspective. So you make a gift to MIT. So we get grants. But instead of then giving it out to the solver teams, which is what we have done and still do <laughs> most typically, uh, you know, so we, we collect all this money from different prize funders and different sponsors, and then we grant it all back out that year, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we have to raise right. more. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. we, we still collect the gifts, thank you, to our donors. And then we um, invest in um, some of the for-profit uh, solver teams. And then, and it's invested, it's held it as a donor advised fund um, yeah. in impact assets, which is a vehicle that sort of only exists in the US. <laughs> and so technically impact assets is actually the, the legal entity, which then owns the, the, the shares. Um, but we're the donor advisor. So we advise, we have an investment committee um, and they, they review potential investments and then, uh, and then we make the recommendations to impact assets on what investments to make. And any returns of these investments go back into um, the fund, go back mm -hmm. into Solve Innovation Future. And so it becomes the idea, we haven't, you know, <laughs> it doesn't yet recycle, but it's gonna start soon actually is there becomes a pay it forward model for the solver teams, right? Yeah, if we're absolutely. taking yeah. a cut, if we're doing a, a revenue share agreement or we're doing a safe or we're participating in your seed round or your series A round, when we get paid back, we can reinvest in the future teams and maybe you're, you'll be on the judging panel and you'll help select them. Um, and then for our donors, it becomes a renewable philanthropy mechanism, your gift, the lifetime impact value of your gift is multiplied because right. you're supporting this organization and then your money will recycle back and support two, three, four organizations in the future as we go. So yeah, we started that last year and we made, uh, so far we've made three investments and we're starting our new cycle as we just selected the new class um, soon. So we'll be doing uh, a few more uh, this year or well, actually early next year. I love that. I love that model. I, I, uh, I see more and more, whether it's these nonprofits sort of like, you know, incubators or accelerators, you know, the, the whole time I'm like, you guys have, you, you're, you're basically <laughs> grooming, like, 
you know, amazing founders and, it, and it's uh, a lot of, a lot of these nonprofits could actually be, you know, you know, fund, right. Their own, you know, venture capital fund, you know, so to speak in, in a small way and, and sort of not always be depending on, on donors, right. And always have to go try to, to get money from, from donors and keep having to go back to that well, where, you know, that's very cyclical, right. Especially, you know, in uncertain times, you know, people don't, people maybe are unable to donate like they normally can. Right. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great, it's a, it's a very innovative approach that I feel more and more people uh, should look at for sure. Yeah, no, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, definitely we also support nonprofits. The majority of our, our, our funding is still grant funding that we give out. Uh, and I, I also do think that, you know, even for for profits, it sometimes makes more sense to to give out non dilutive capital, especially these are sure. age and this is sort of R&D money and, right. and other things. So it's, I definitely don't think that everything, you know, everything has a as a market and everything needs to of be course. Profit yes. enterprise. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I completely agree with you that I think it's about you know, what's the capital that is most adapted and how do you indeed maximize its use? And then hopefully with Solve Innovation Future, and we are starting to see that, we're crowding in more co-investors, if you will. And then we, whatever we invest in is multiplied because we've brought in other other investors to the table. And so right. I think that that's also, we're looking to be, you know, this, this, uh, this marketplace um, but to some extent to have a, a seat at the table to bring investors in, it's good to, that we're an, that we've become an investor ourselves and that we're, we then have a much better case to make to, to other in, potential impact investors. It, you know, and also you guys have one of the greatest pipeline of talent in the entire world, right? I mean, coming through MIT just in general, right? So does the solve, you know, future look at its own students coming out of NMIT, right? And, and look at innovative ideas that are coming out of, you know, whether it's a thesis or, or whether it's some type of project within, within a current classroom or current environment at MIT itself. Is that something that the SOL program will look at as well is, is having this sort of incubator for its own talent coming through its own university? So yes and no, to some extent. So Solve Innovation Future is dedicated to investments in our solver teams. Uh, so you first have to be a solver, right? To mm -hmm. then be considered for the fund. And then, but then there are, but then students, researchers, uh, alumni of MIT are definitely welcome to apply, uh, but they don't get uh, special consideration uh, to get into to solve. I think currently, maybe 10% of our portfolio, it might be less. It has some sort of MIT prior affiliation. So the majority, large majority do not. And uh, it's early days, but we will, we are designing a program for young people under 24 mm -hmm. um, that, that would uh, include MIT students, but also again, be open to um, both other students from other universities, community colleges, vocational schools, um, but also non-student people who, for whatever reason, are not uh, currently studying, but are under 24. So uh, more to come on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. No, I think, again, you, you, it's, 
always learning and innovating within its own organization, right? I think it, it's always good to, to look at different ways to, to, to make your own infrastructure, you know, progress in itself, right? I mean, that's always, I think, a great idea. Yeah. Um, and there are some funds um, such as the Engine and also something called E14 uh, that are um, somewhat independent but affiliated with MIT, which do look more specifically mm-hmm. at uh, the MIT uh, ecosystem. Um, so, um, so there are other opportunities for, uh, and even there's something called Sandbox, for example, which is dedicated mm-hmm. to MIT students. So, so there are other opportunities for students as well. Um, so I usually like to end a little bit on the future. And yeah. uh, I, I know right now it's, it's, a, it's obviously a little crazy everywhere and it's hard to plan ahead and, and have sort of goals and, and missions maybe written down because you just don't know how to, to, to go on right now. But what are you excited about, you know, over the next, you know, three to five years? And, and what are some of maybe, you know, goals that the organization has internally or what are some successes you would like to see in, in sort of that three to five year window that you're, you're excited about? Yeah, I think we really want to continue growing this, this idea of being this incredible marketplace for social impact innovation. But, you know, what that means is definitely growing and changing as we, as we go. I think that we're doing the global challenges and select um, this year we selected 35 solver teams. Um, uh, last year was 32. But on top of that, we're also doing a number of challenges with partners. Um, so they're, they're more customized to different partners. So for example, we did one with the Inter-American Development Bank called the Rethinks Plastics Challenge and then one with the World Bank around digital identity. And so we're doing more and more of these uh, partner challenges every year. Um, so that's sort of increasing our, our reach. And then, um, you know, thinking about still this concept of a marketplace, you're trying to make deals happen and you're trying to support the innovators, but also the other side of the marketplace to be able to find deals, if you will. And so Solve Innovation Future, for example, is a tool in that marketplace to help investment capital flow uh, more. Uh, I think so. I think as we go in the next three to five years, we're building new types of opportunities, um, e.g., for example, this um, solve program for young people under 24. We're building new challenges. We're building new tools. So I don't know what the next one after Solve Innovation Future <laughs> is, but there, there may very well be a next tool to help around this and uh and and then we're also trying to ensure that it's as open um as possible so for example we launched a course last year um called business and impact planning for social enterprises and so it's a course on mitx you can take it you get a little mit certificate uh if you pay the 49 dollars. if not you can take it for free but um, it is a, it essentially helps you do a business and impact plan for whatever your solution is. And that happens to be the application form to solve. And the idea is that we're helping uh, people who, you know, may have 
not have done a course before on how to write a business plan or may not have been part of another accelerator before, we're trying to help level the playing field a bit more uh, for them. And so the more, um, you know, that's again, another tool to help this marketplace. And so as we grow, uh, we're going to grow in like breadth, but also in that sense, we're going to add more tools and that's growing in depth. Well, thanks so much, Alex. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, really incredible what you know mit solve has has so it's so early on still right and you're still trying to we're still trying to figure oh, it out it was my four-year anniversary uh this week <laughs> nice well congratulations <laughs> congratulations yeah i mean it's such a i think we're, we're at such a a great moment in, in time where we we're seeing sort of the the evolution of technology you know finally getting into some of the areas of the world where it hasn't tapped yet Right. And, yeah. and we're seeing the power that scalability can have. And, and now as, as sort of the, the cloud sort of progresses, it's, we don't see the first, just the first world's benefiting from it. And that's what I think is exciting is that, you know, we're seeing like a perfect example was the sort of the Indonesia, you know, education platform, right? It's like these companies aren't even possible probably a decade ago, right? Yeah. At, the, at the sort of scale that, that they're doing and sort of just the bandwidth you would need to, to even host the servers or something like that, right? In, uh, in Indonesia and stuff. So uh, I think that as we see technology, while a lot of the, the scope sometimes is to the negative of, of what technology can do, there's also these, these pockets of the world that, you know, it's still so untapped for potential for people's lives to change, whether it's through education and Know, hunger and poverty and of course healthcare. that there's so much potential there that a little bit of you know funding and, and technology and innovation can you know change the lives of millions of people you know yeah and i think unlike that it could ever done before yeah and i i do think that that reflects i guess our values and our ethos that you know everybody and anybody can be a problem solver mm -hmm. and can and can make change in their community, in their country, in the world. And so, and obviously we're sort of showcasing these, the, you know, these early stage social entrepreneurs, the most promising of them and the solver class. But in one sense, we're also trying to show that uh, through the stories we tell and the programs that we run that uh, you too can be a problem solver. And in fact, everyone should be and needs to be a problem solver because we really don't have any more time to waste. Um, some of the exciting themes also for next year uh, that we're working on for potential challenges, but this is still really under development so people can, can really input and there's these voting and these workshops around we're doing something on economic justice. We're looking at what is the classroom of the future, right? Maybe it's not a classroom. <laughs> what, is the, what is a safe and quality learning environment? Um, what um, looking at will we'll repeat the health and security pandemics challenge uh, because we're still going to be dealing with, um, with this in some way and certainly looking at longer term solutions for prevention is still important. Um, we're looking at nature-based solutions to carbon management. Um, and then also um, we're going to be hosting a challenge dedicated to the U.S. looking at anti-racist uh, technology. So one of the things we've done while we're a global organization and most of our challenges are global, we're doing more and more 
domestic work. And we started three yeah. years ago with an indigenous communities fellowship. Mm -hmm. We're now doing a challenge on reimagining pathways to employment in the US. And then mm -hmm. next year we'll be doing something on anti-racist technology. I love it all. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for taking the time. I know thank you're- Thank you. Thank you for having very, me. You're very busy. And I, I always really appreciate people taking, taking times out their day to, to, to talk about the journey and what they're up to. So best of luck the rest of this year and best of luck in the future. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye.